Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, insight from an ethical hacker and the trenches of cybersecurity. That happens to be in what's called Data Center Alley out in Sterling, Virginia. So like when you watch Netflix, those bits live in Virginia and get streamed to your house. Virtual reality may be an emergent technology, but virtual computing is already here and shaping many of our region's leading startups and larger technology businesses. Many argue that our competence in virtualization may in fact be one of our regional strengths. Here in the studio with me is Craig Stevenson. He's the founder of Hypercube Technologies, that they describe themselves as a cyber range as a service business. And Craig is also an ethical hacker. We're going to talk today about Hypercube, what ethical hacking is, and why virtualization is an important tool with broad implications and applications in our economy. Craig, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Very happy to have you. Looking forward to learning about Hypercube. But tell me first, what exactly is virtualization? Virtualization is a technology that many billion-dollar companies have been built on the backs of. So in the beginning, you had one server for every single website. So you can imagine how many websites there are out there today. Imagine if every single one of those required at least a single physical computer. There wouldn't be enough space to house it all. So what people soon figured out was 90% uh, of the time, the computer they were running, for example, a website on, was only operating at 10% of its capacity or maybe even less. So what would be great is if you could take that other 90% and essentially turn them into other computers. So what virtualization does is it takes one piece of hardware and allows you, rather than just having one computer, to have a bunch of smaller computers that can scale up and down based on demand. And that's effectively what Amazon Web Services is doing, right? Rent, just basically yep. renting slices of time on a large computer as effectively little computers that run for specific moments and specific tasks. Absolutely. That's, they've managed to build a rather nice business off the back of that piece of technology. Yes, they have, and, and they continue to. And rumor has it that they're coming to start here. I, I'm looking forward to that. But Hypercube, how exactly are you using this uh, technology to grow a business here in the region? Sure. So this is a really powerful technology, but the tools for producing and consuming this technology have all been aimed at highly skilled developers which means it takes a long time before you can do anything productive with it. And what Hypercube is trying to do is if I can describe a computer network to you in 30 seconds using plain English, it should only take you 30 seconds to build it and deploy it into any cloud of your choice. You shouldn't need to know how that particular cloud works. That's our, that's our end goal. I'm a firm believer that there are millions of potential customers of this technology that are currently being untapped because of the specialized skills it requires to do anything with it. So just to make sure I'm understanding this properly, if I set up an IT system in an organization, I'm going to have, I may have servers in the cloud, I may have servers in my, uh, in my office someplace, I'm going to have a lot of client computers, I'm going to have I'm going to have mobile devices. I'm going to have printers. I'm going to have all these different things that are going to be integrated into a single system. And that sounds to me like I've got a couple of problems. And one, I got to make sure everything operates together. But then two, I've got to make sure that my cybersecurity systems are properly deployed. So what you're telling me is that I either have to have all that stuff built and integrated in the real world, and then I can apply cybersecurity technology to see if they work, 
or I can create a virtual network that behaves as if it was real, and then I can apply cybersecurity technology and other things against it to make sure that the system is safe and works properly. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's correct. Only organizations that had an incredible amount of resources at their disposal used to be able to do that. So they'd build an entire test copy of something physical, essentially a duplicate of what they were going to be deploying in the field, make sure everything works before they put it in the field. Then virtualization came along, and so now they were building virtual copies of things before they were putting it in the field. But it still required a huge team of virtualization engineers. And what I'm trying to get to is anybody who has the vocabulary to just describe a network should be able to build a copy of it, run tests on it, and figure out what to do. I've seen, in addition to your business, I've seen a, a fair number of startups over the last couple of years grow. A number have been sold now around this uh, this concept of creating virtual machines, virtual networks, and so forth. It seems to me that this is a particular strength in our region, and perhaps one of the reasons why Amazon Web Services is growing so rapidly here. What is it about our region that creates the kind of uh, software and engineering talent that's suitable for this type of field? Uh, a lot of it came out of the government, but, I mean, the Internet started here. You know, if you drive out the Dulles Toll Road to Sterling, Virginia, that literally is where the Internet is. Like, every every time you access a website, there's a physical computer somewhere that that thing is running on, and most of the time, that happens to be in what's called Data Center Alley out in Sterling, Virginia. So, like, when you watch Netflix... Those bits live in Virginia and get streamed to your house. So there's just a ton of talent in and around that space in the area. It almost, um, you know, for the, the less technical, it's, it's like um, in the ocean where you have a, uh, a heat vent in the ocean floor and a lot of life because it's warm. Uh, the Internet well had an effect where the bandwidth is broadest, mm -hmm. is right in our region. So it, it literally, it, it creates this concentration of highly technically skilled people who are comfortable with the internet. So that, I think, gives us an idea of where the talent comes from. You're in cybersecurity, and I was really interested, and I looked at your LinkedIn bio, to see that you describe yourself, in fact, you certify yourself as an ethical hacker, which to my mind is an oxymoron, I guess, but explain to me what an ethical hacker is or why somebody would put that on their, their LinkedIn profile. The term hacker has sort of been taken over to mean something bad these days, but it never used to. Hacker was just a person who liked to take things apart and figure out how they worked. And so there's actually just a certification that anyone can go take a test and get called, that makes you a certified ethical hacker. But the idea there is we're the good guys. So when bad things show up and people want to figure out how they work, the good guys take it apart and figure out, essentially hack it to figure out how it works. I love the concept of good guys, bad guys, which really leads me to think out loud with you. Sounds to me like cybersecurity is an arms race or, or it's a fight between the good guys and the bad guys. Do you think it's a fight that can be won? I wouldn't say it's a fight that can be won. I'd say it's a it's a it's a battle that's never going to stop. Like good guys figure out some way to stop something. Bad guys figure out a way to round it. It's just an arms race back and forth. Uh, but the good guys are getting a lot better these days. Companies are starting to care a lot more, so there's a lot more resources being thrown at solving good guy problems. What do you think's changed in corporate America that's caused people to focus on this more? A lot of companies lost a lot of market capitalization from getting hacked. Mm -hmm. It's really it's really just incentives, right? Like 
in the 80s, well, it, there's two things going on. One, everything is connected to everything. So theoretically, from my phone, there's a path to important corporate data on some corporate network. There's a lot of things in between me and them to stop me from getting access to it, but theoretically, it's all connected. So that's one. That's number one. And then number two, the bad guys are starting to have a huge financial incentive to go get that data. It's all about incentives, right? Like if I'm a hacker, it's a business. I'm trying to figure out what data can I steal and how much can I sell it for, and that determines how much resources I can throw at stealing it. Mm-hmm. These days, the data sitting inside of companies could be worth billions of dollars. So that means if if there's data out there worth a billion dollars, I can spend a hundred million dollars trying to go after it. You know what's interesting to me about this whole issue of data is that the data is actually most valuable in the hands of the people that have legitimate businesses. The the, the actual value of hacked data on a per data bit basis is actually very low. Yeah. Uh, so really you would think that businesses would have a lot more incentives here to protect their data than the bad guys would in trying to get after it. And in fact, that's something that's happening now. So everyone hears about ransomware, right? The cool, the the sort, not cool, but the, the economic flip that happened there, bad guys realized that stealing someone's data is worth X, but preventing that person from accessing their data was worth way more, right? right? So I could go into an enterprise and I could take a copy of all their data and the enterprise would say, good luck, do whatever you want with that. But if I go into a data, if I go into an enterprise and I lock everything so they can't get access to their own data, all of a sudden that's a huge economic problem for that enterprise. Craig, before I let you go, uh, we have listeners that are starting businesses, tech businesses right now. What would be your best advice for them? What's the biggest lesson you learned that you think they should all be aware of? You're going to be wrong a lot in the creation and running of your business. And there's tons of companies out there that fail because they got something wrong and they kept plugging at it, even though the market was telling them a different lesson. So I would say the biggest thing we've learned so far is run experiments to determine whether or not what you think is correct. And if the market is telling you you're incorrect, fail and fail fast and move on. And this is actually one of the biggest advantages startups have over large enterprises. A large enterprise will throw $100 million down the hole because somebody had an idea and they won't let it go. Well, as a startup, we're going to throw $200 at that idea and very quickly find out if it's wrong and move on to the next thing. So embrace the ups of a startup but also the downs of a startup in in order to truly learn. Absolutely. That's great advice. Craig Stevenson from Hypercube Technologies, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. And of course, thanks to Active Navigation, Sayerforth Shaw, and the Greater Washington Board of Trade, who provide the financial support to make this show possible. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us. 